Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning and welcome to Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk Radio Show. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn your host and the show's producer. Raising the Bar Legal Talk Radio Show brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia and especially in the greater Richmond area every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. At least once per week, this one-hour show features true life stories and cases, legal tips, and information from experts and specialists. The law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories along with helpful tips, including tips on access to legal services, something that not everyone can afford. And that's the topic of today's show. Remember that if you have any questions, please call into the show at any time at 804-454-1366. We're here to answer your questions, so please call that number, 804-454-1366. I am thrilled this morning to have Marty Wigbite of the Central Virginia Legal Aid Center Society and also Allie Fannin of the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation with me. Good morning, Marty. Good morning. And good morning, Allie. Good morning, Colleen. Great. So I'm going to direct my questions to Marty first. Marty, what is the Central Virginia Legal Aid Society? Well, Colleen, first, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. And Central Virginia Legal Aid Society is a private nonprofit law firm we receive federal, state, and local funding, as well as funding from grants and simply donations. And what we do is provide free, civil, non-criminal legal aid to low-income people in Richmond, Petersburg, Charlottesville, and the surrounding cities and counties. Great. And it looks like there's about nine to ten legal aid uh, societies basically throughout Virginia, but um, working for the Central Virginia Legal Aid Society where you are, it seems like you cover a pretty large territory in terms of, of Virginia. We do cover very large territory. We cover five independent cities and the surrounding 15 counties. And in that area, there's approximately 168,000 low-income people who are eligible for our services, and we have only 10 attorneys on our staff. Wow, that's an amazingly small number of attorneys for a lot of people. And that's pretty much true around the entire state of Virginia. In fact, the Virginia State Bar has done some statistics on this. If you are a non-poor person, there's one lawyer for every 349 Virginians. If you are a poor person, there's one lawyer for every 7,237 poor people. Holy cow, which means that you are working really hard um, and that we probably need more lawyers helping out. We definitely need more lawyers helping out. Just to give you an example of how poorly funded uh, civil legal aid is, the total amount of federal funding for legal aid across the country is about as much as Americans nationwide spend each year on Halloween costumes for their pets. Wow. That is an amazing statistic. That kind of puts it really into better perspective for us. Now, Marty, 
What do you do at Central Virginia Legal Aid, and how long have you been there? Because I think you've devoted yourself uh, to public service for quite a quite a number of years. It's been my career. This has been my 39th year wow. in, in legal aid, and the last 13 of which have been at Central Virginia Legal Aid Society in Richmond. And what we do there, the work falls into basically five or six different categories. We do a lot of consumer law, things like bankruptcy, debt defense, consumer fraud. We do family law, things like uh, protective orders for domestic abuse victims and some advice on other family law areas. We do employment law, primarily unemployment compensation, wage claims, things of that nature, Um, housing law, particularly landlord-tenant and foreclosure prevention. And then lastly, uh, elder law, things like wills, powers of attorney, and advanced directives. So these are all pretty critical areas of the law where there's definitely a a real need. Those are all pretty essential um, items that most people will need at some point in their lives. There's a lot at stake. I mean, you're talking about things like people's income, their property, their jobs, their health care, their housing, their children, and in the case of domestic abuse, just simple protection and safety and their lives can be at stake. So, yeah, these are pretty high-stake issues. Yeah. And I know that um, the Central Virginia Legal Aid Society also uh, tries to do some outreach. In fact, we're kind of turning the tables here because uh, you have your own outreach uh, program where I've actually been interviewed by you. And so now the tables are turned and I get to uh, return the favor and do the interviewing. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, basic uh, podcast program? So there is another legal aid radio show in the Richmond area. Um, It's not quite as widely broadcast as this one, but it's on WRIR 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. It comes on every Wednesday at 1230 from 1230 to 1. It's also streamed on www.wrir.org. And basically that show has been broadcast since June of 2009. And the format is similar to this, except that it is pre-recorded, not live like this. Um, Which means you better better watch yourself. Exactly. (laughs) I will. And it it is uh, an interview show where we interview people who are local attorneys primarily and just try to educate people about the legal issues that people face in their day-to-day lives. And so both shows really are all about um, educating the public and getting more information out there, more free legal information. I know that you interviewed me on uh, women's uh, issues, especially some of the uh, the sexual assault, domestic violence issues, and then also on adoption and surrogacy. And so I know that um, that program and this program are both really focused on trying to get more information out to the public, especially because uh, legal services are so expensive and understanding the law can be um, very difficult. Right. And there is a lot of information out there. There is also a lot of misinformation. And so it's really important for people to go to reputable sources. So I have three in mind. Uh, Number one is our website, which is simply cvlas.org. If you go to that website, and you go to the brochures, uh, legal information by topic, there's roughly 70 brochures there that are accurate and updated, and you can rely on them. Uh, The second source is the statewide public uh, legal aid website, which is simply www.valegalaid.org. No punctuation, just valegalaid.org. And that is the statewide website, and there's probably about Oh, 16 or 17 different topic areas 
ranging from consumer law to veterans. And within each topic area, there's probably 50 or more articles. And again, these are accurate and updated and people can rely on them. Um, the third thing is if people want individual free legal advice, they can go to virginia.freelegalanswers.org, which is the website run by the Virginia State Bar in, uh, I guess, collaboration with the American Bar Association. And you can register for the site. You have to be under 250% of poverty. You can post three questions a year, and there are literally hundreds of volunteer attorneys, some legal aid, but mostly private attorneys, who are also registered for the site, and they will answer your question. Uh, and you can even engage a dialogue. Now, this is all anonymous. You won't know who the lawyer is, uh, the lawyer will know your identity, but nothing much more than that. And again, that is a reputable source where you can get not only legal information, but also actual legal advice tailored to your particular situation. Um, those resources are amazing. And after the show, what I like to do is uh, make sure I get those from you and, and put them on the RaisingTheBarLawTalk.com website so that they're there. Um, because having reputable resources um, and getting accurate legal information is just so critical with all the misinformation that is out there. Um, I also think that aren't you, uh, your uh, podcast from your radio show also posted um, on the Central Virginia Legal Aid um, site somewhere? Well, actually, we don't have the bandwidth or the storage capacity to do that, but they are posted on another website, which is www.radio4 www.radio4all.net. That's radio, the numeral four, okay. all.net. Then you click the contributor link, then click Marty Wegbright, and you will find several hundred uh, podcasts that are available for download. And I'm going to get that link from you as well so that we can make sure we've got that resource out there for, for people to be able to locate because I know those podcasts have a lot of information on them. Um, we're doing the same with the Raising the Bar um, Law Talk website is, is getting all those podcasts up on YouTube and iTunes um, so that we can make sure we get information, better information out there. So, um, Marty, what is the funniest case that you have ever had um, in your career with Central Virginia Legal Aid? I would say that's probably the boa constrictor case. Oh, I want to hear this. <laughs> okay. So the landlord realized that the tenant had a pet boa constrictor. Now, the tenant had raised this boa constrictor from a tiny little snakeling, and it was now over six feet long. Holy and cow. <laughs> it was kept in a fish tank. And um, it was actually perfectly harmless, but the landlord believed that this violated the prohibition against um, particular types of, of dangerous pets. So the landlord, first of all, said, um, well, your fish tank is too large. It violates our rules. Well, we pointed out that actually there were no fish in the tank, nor was there any water in the tank. So then the landlord said, well, um, this is a dangerous animal. So we got um, both an animal control officer um, and a local pet shop owner to say, no, actually, the boa constrictor was, was quite harmless and didn't pose any danger or threat to anyone. Um, then they said, well, it violates the prohibition against having a wild animal as a pet. So, again, we got the animal control officer to point out that this boa constrictor actually was not a wild animal that had been born and bred and raised in captivity. And so finally, after beating back the landlord's arguments one after another after another, the landlord just threw up their hands and said, fine, this is harmless. We're not going to file eviction proceedings against you. And did you get to meet this harmless domesticated boa constrictor? No, actually, I didn't. It's too bad. <laughs> 
So um, tell me, what is the case that you've had with the most impact? I would say that would be an unemployment compensation case that went to the Court of Appeals of Virginia. Um, the case is Schuler versus um, Virginia Employment Commission. But basically, it helped to define the difference between what is a voluntary quit and what is a discharge uh, for purposes of unemployment compensation. Uh, now, this seem, may seem a little um, esoteric, but it's actually very important because if you voluntarily quit your job and apply for unemployment compensation, the burden is on you, the claimant, to prove that you had good cause for quitting and that you exhausted all reasonable alternatives to keep your job. So the burden's on you. On the other hand, if you are discharged from your job, the burden is on the employer to prove that you were discharged for intentional, deliberate, work-related misconduct. And as an attorney, you know that who has the burden of proof is very crucial because the if the evidence is evenly balanced, the side with the burden of proof loses. So it's very important in a case like that for uh, it to be a discharge rather than a voluntary quit. Well, there wasn't any really good case law on that until I uh, filed and won this case. And the case basically said that voluntary means truly unconstrained by interference, unimpelled by another's influence, spontaneous acting of oneself. And what it basically said is that you look to the intention of the employee. And basically, an employee's intention to quit may be discerned from words or conduct inconsistent with keeping your job. So what it means, to translate that to English, is if you did, said or did anything to try to keep your job and nevertheless you lost it, it's going to be considered a discharge. It's not going to be considered a voluntary quit. Gotcha. And what happened in that case? What were the facts? Well, in that case, the lady had taken a vacation and there was some dispute as to whether she was ever going to come back. But she did, in fact, make repeated you know, calls and I think visits to the employer to say, hey, when, am I putting, when are you putting me back on the schedule? And the employer really never responded to that. And it was sort of the classic case. These are very common cases where the employee never says, I quit, I'm leaving, I don't want to work here any longer. And the employer never says, well, you're discharged, you're fired, you're terminated. And so there's this vacuum of actual evidence as to what caused the separation from employment. And these are very common cases. So in those types of cases, it doesn't matter whether the employer said you're discharged. It doesn't matter whether the employee said, I quit. What matters is you look to what the employee did or didn't do or say to determine whether they wanted to keep their job or not. And if, if what they said or did showed some intention to keep their job, it wasn't a voluntary quit. And that's a, a fabulous case um, because there are so many people that do shift work and they rely on the employer to put them back on the schedule. And somebody saying, hey, when am I going to be back on the schedule, et cetera, is clearly an intention that they want to go back to work. Those cases are so compelling, too, because when somebody is out of work and doesn't have an income coming in, it's just a cascade of effects. They no longer can pay their rent or their mortgage. They oftentimes can end up homeless. And of course, being able to get unemployment is so critical to their stability. So that's a fabulous case that you handled with an amazingly wonderful outcome on behalf of the uh, citizens of Virginia. So th thank you for Taking that one forward, um, I know I've had those cases with um, the employer not wanting to put somebody back on the schedule, and it's it's much harder to show 
um, that there was a discharge as opposed to somebody that has a regular you know, job that comes in every single day, every single week. Those are tough cases. So what was the most unusual case that you've had? I suppose the most unusual case would be the um, suspected arson case. Um, this was a case where there was a fire in the middle of the night, about three in the morning. The husband and wife and their two teenage children barely got out of the house alive. And they filed an insurance claim that dragged on for months and months and months. Uh, they had to undergo oral examination under oath, which was an hours and hours long process. And eventually the claim was denied. And we'd never really got a good explanation why. So we had to file a lawsuit. We filed it in state court. Um, the insurance company then removed it actually to federal court because of the sum involved and because of citizens of a different state. And at that point, I actually could do discovery and find out why the claim had been denied. And so I got the uh, fire report from the insurance company, and they claimed that it had been arson, that they had torched their own house. Wow, and, and barely escaped with their kids. Um, that's That sounds pretty crazy. So the um, report seemed fairly compelling, and I'd never done a fire case before. And so what I did was I got my own expert who came in and flipped through the report, you know, as rapidly as he could, and then closed the cover in about 10 minutes later and said, I know how this fire started. It was a grease fire on the stove. Wow. And he showed me exactly why and the evidence in the, in the photographs. And I said, well, I want to retain you as my expert. And he said, great, uh, be happy to do that. How are you going to prove this case? I said, you're going to teach me. And he did. And I actually had a three-day jury trial in federal court and got to present this expert and got to destroy the other side's expert. Um, and the jury retired and they came back with a verdict completely in favor of my clients for the full value of the policy. Wow. That's the most amazing thing about um, the attorneys that work for legal aid like yourself too, Marty, is you have to have such a variety of, um, of, of experience and be willing to take on cases that might have areas of law that, that you've never been in. So your willingness to, to be in all those different areas of the law and take on those cases is, is so admirable. I have the most respect for um, you, Marty, and the other uh, lawyers that work for the legal aid societies. So um, how does one qualify? We talked before, you gave some statistics about, um, you know, how many lawyers there are for the poor versus how many lawyers there are for the, the I'll call them the non-poor. Um, but what, what constitutes being poor? How does one qualify for legal assistance? So you, the household has to be at or below 125% of poverty. So to put some statistics on that, uh, if your household income is... $1,200 for one person, you're going to barely qualify. And you can add about four to $500 per person after that. So maybe $1,700 for a family of two per month, uh, $2,200 a month for a family of three, et cetera. But that's only one of about five qualifications for our services. I mean, first, it has to be the type of case that we handle. So we don't handle traffic. We don't handle criminal. We don't handle personal injuries. We leave the women's injuries to private attorneys such as yourself. Um, so it can't be the type of a case that would generate an attorney's fee for a private attorney. We're not here to be in competition with or take business away from 
private attorneys. We're here to take the cases that private attorneys cannot afford to do, but cry out for representation. So first, it has to be the type of case we handle. Second, do you have to live in or have a legal case arising in our service area, those five cities and 15 counties? Third, you have to meet our citizenship rules. So you have to be a U.S. citizen or a documented non-citizen. The only exception to that is we can provide assistance to undocumented people who are victims of serious domestic abuse in the United States. Um, fourth, there has to be no conflict of interest. In, in other words, we have to have not had any contact with or advised or presented the other side to the legal dispute. And then last but not least, as mentioned, you have to qualify financially, and that's both an income test and an asset or resource test. But we really are here for the poorest of the poor, for people who just cannot afford representation anywhere else. And when you mention conflict of interest, um, that would be if you'd represented one side in the divorce and you couldn't represent the other side, that sort of thing. But um, clearly you are there for the poorest of the poor, which means that there is a huge gap still in services, um, plus there are certain services that legal aid can't do. So um, and that's a, a good way of uh, switching over to Allie and asking um, Allie Fannin of the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation a few questions. Allie, what does the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation do? Um, thanks, Colleen. Well, we're a nonprofit also. We focus our mission on providing pro bono service through recruiting, training, and encouraging lawyers to give back their time for free. In-house, we run the Pro Bono Clearinghouse program for nonprofits that need legal assistance. And we have uh, about 300 volunteers throughout the Greater Richmond area that help us with nonprofit um, issues. We also partner with the Virginia Bar Association um, in a veterans program, and we um, help veterans, active service members, and family members based on a, a kind of sliding scale of eligibility and nexus to service um, throughout the state. But what we really have concentrated on in the last few years is our partnership with Legal Aid, um, in particular with Central Virginia Legal Aid Society as our one of our local legal aids in trying to get attorneys from all of our law firms that are partners with us to um, solo practitioners, to public sector lawyers, to give back their time um, in a meaningful way and help these poorest of the poor with their issues. So basically, you're trying to recruit lawyers to help Marty and his team out because they have such enormous caseloads that it's just too much work for them. And as Marty already indicated, um, that there are so uh, few lawyers out there that are helping these folks that are either at the poverty line or maybe just above the poverty line but still have difficulty paying for, for a lawyer. So... Greater Richmond Bar Foundation is actually supplementing um, Central Virginia legal aid, it sounds like, by trying to recruit private attorneys to, to fill in and to basically meet some of these needs that are out there. Is that a, a fair statement? Absolutely. That's what we do. Um, and before we cut to the break, can you just explain, Allie, when, when we say pro bono, um, I, as lawyers, we know what that means, right. but I don't know that everybody does. So what does pro bono mean? Well, in the shortest of terms, free. <laughs> um, but pro bono publico means for the public good. And every lawyer is um, advised by the state bar professional rules that they should give 2% of their professional time back to pro bono services. And so that's what we are encouraging is giving back their services for free without an intent to have a fee ever from the onset to help those who need. 
That it would be fabulous if all lawyers gave 2% of their time. So we are going to take a break. And remember to call into the show, 804-454-1366. You can ask Allie or Marty any questions about the law or about the legal uh, service industry, um, especially with regard to uh, access to legal services. We'll be right back. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. We are back to Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk radio show. This is Colleen Quinn, your host and producer. I'm an attorney with Locke and Quinn. And with me today are Marty Wigbite of the Central Virginia Legal Aid Society and Allie Fannin of the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation. And we are talking about access to legal services, something that everybody needs but not everybody can afford. So this is a really important topic. Right before the break, I was talking to Allie about the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation and all of the amazing programs that they do. And Allie, what do you do at the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation? Well, I'm the executive director. Um, We are a small staffed organization. There's myself and my director of administration, Allison Reese. So we do it all. Um, A staff of two. A staff of two. (laughs) Um, But we um, have an incredible board of directors that are involved with our programs. We have great uh, collaboration with Firms and Service Richmond, which is a collaboration of um, 11 law firms and two law departments that come together to promote pro bono service. And so we really kind of extend our capacity through our volunteerism. But at at Greater Richmond Bar Foundation, I pretty much help develop the programs and help drive the mission um, focus. And I know recently there's been a a, a big, big push to try to recruit more lawyers. You mentioned before the break that um, the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation has a program for nonprofit associations, an area we don't always think about. We don't always think about how nonprofits who are doing so much good out there actually uh, can't always afford legal services. So that's an area of need. And then you also mentioned the Veterans Program, which is a a relatively new program, but has great outreach uh, to help out Virginia's uh, veterans. And then you mentioned uh, recruiting attorneys. Can you talk a little bit more about what the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation is doing to uh, recruit attorneys to, um, to, to basically help out and fill in some of those areas that Marty and his team can't get to? Sure. Um, well, I myself am an attorney also. So when I go out to recruit attorneys, um, I try to put it in their perspective that they will understand, which is how is this going to impact my time? Can I do it? I don't want to look like a fool, so please help me not do that. And, um, you know, reconnecting them with what I believe is the inner drive that sent people to law school, which is a desire to help people. And so I think of our job as kind of packaging this experience and motivating lawyers to make that effort to cram in yet another thing into a very busy day. We all have that. We're doing, you know, raising families, we're working, you know, doing extracurricular things. So that's what we're doing. Right. And we've got a caller. Um, We've got Sally from Richmond calling in. Um, And so, Sally, uh, we'll put you on the air here. Oh, hello. 
Good morning. Good morning. You're on the air, Sally. Um, you've got a question for our show. Thank you for calling in. Oh, yeah. I, I was just wondering, um, just listening to the talk about um, the pro bono work and the people who are um, under the poverty level, does that m- mean so someone who's not, can I get a free consultation with an attorney? I, I always thought that all consultations were free. Um, that is a great question, Sally, um, because uh, it pretty much depends on the type of case that you've got. Um, for example, as Marty indicated before, um, Central Virginia Legal Aid Society doesn't take certain cases that they know other attorneys out there will handle. For example, um, auto accident type cases and personal injury cases are usually done on a contingency basis. And so oftentimes there's a free consultation done by most private lawyers that are out there doing that kind of work um, like we do at Lock and Quinn. Um, but then there are other areas of the law that don't always lend themselves to um, a, a free consultation Um, There um, are certain areas like divorce where some attorneys might do a free consultation, but others charge. And um, Marty, why don't you talk a little bit, too, about the types of cases that might lend themselves to a free consultation versus the others that don't and then the ones that people pretty much, if they don't meet your poverty standards, are going to have to go pay an attorney to do? Well, the first thing people have to do is to qualify to get any type of legal advice or consultation from legal aid. We are, as I said, federally, uh, state, and local funded, and we have to follow regulations. And one of those regulations is we can't give any type of uh, assistance to somebody unless they first qualify financially. So you pretty much have to get in Uh the door and be, as I said, amongst the poorest of the poor for us to be able to give you any type of consultation or advice at all. Uh, If you are under the poverty guidelines and uh, we can provide you assistance. If you aren't, then you have to go elsewhere. And I mentioned at the top of the show uh, places on the website uh, where you can get at least information. There's that uh, virginia.freelegalanswers.org that you can get an actual answer. There's one other source I did not mention, which is the Virginia Lawyer Referral Service, which uh, is run by the Virginia State Bar, and you can call them. You just look them up on the um, internet, do a Google search, and they will refer you to a private attorney who has registered for that service, and you will be charged a referral fee of $35. That entitles you to half an hour consultation with the attorney to whom you have been referred, who concentrates his or her practice in that particular area of law. So it's not free. But $35 for a half an hour consultation is way below the market that you would customarily pay uh, an attorney. So that is a source of uh, not free but very low-cost consultation. So they would be able to tell me if I had a case for $35 or is that – well, they certainly they would determine. Well, they certainly could give you legal advice based on your facts and the law, and you know whether this is something you should pursue or not. And then, of course, if you want to pursue it with that particular attorney, then that would be between you and that attorney, or you could go elsewhere. Uh, what the thirty-five dollar referral fee entitles you to, though, is a half an hour of the lawyer's time. And that's that's a great resource. So, Sally, okay. um, most lawyers in the Richmond area you charge anywhere from about $150 an hour 
on up to even six hundred dollars an hour, depending oh my on gosh. yeah, depending on the level of, of expertise and the area of the law. So when Marty mentions thirty five dollars for thirty minutes, that's an amazing deal. And usually in thirty minutes, most attorneys can give you a pretty good idea of where you might stand in whatever that type of case is, whether it's a divorce or landlord tenant matter. Um, or it's a, a lemon law dispute, that sort of thing. Um, there are lawyers out there, too, in other areas um, of the law who sometimes will give a free consultation, but um, the, um, the program mentioned by, um, by Marty is, is probably a, a really good deal and a good place to start. So, Sally, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Great. Well, thank, thank, thank you, everyone. Thank you for calling into the show. Have a good day. Thank you. You, too. So, um, Right before we took Sally's question, I was uh, talking to Allie, and Allie was talking about how uh, she goes about recruiting lawyers to do pro bono work. And you were talking, Allie, about um, the feel good that lawyers can get. I, I know that one of the pro bono cases my firm handled um, was a case where a child had been born at home and didn't have a birth certificate. And of course, they were trying to enroll him in school. Um, and it was really interesting because uh, there was we had to try to get some sort of medical person to certify as to the birth, and there had been no no midwife or anybody at the birth. It was a pretty complicated case, but for people that couldn't even afford to get to a hospital to deliver their child, and this child was now eight years old, um, but when we finally got the birth certificate for that little boy who who really had no identity up to that point, um, it was really a rewarding case. So. Um, getting people, getting attorneys to do those cases. Um, and then if you just do one and you've got that feel good, um, it's a great way to get them to do a few more. Agreed. Absolutely. <laughs> so what is the funniest case um, that you've had at Greater Richmond Bar Foundation? Ooh, well, I don't know if we do funny. Um, <laughs> nonprofit and veteran issues aren't typically too funny. Um, I'm trying to think in my own personal career, I've had quite a few funny because I worked for the city. But um, oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely, um, you know, to me, it, it, it's, I'm going to fail on this question because I haven't had to have a case that was there funny. No failing <laughs> on any questions. <laughs> there, there was no funny recently. Um, How about the cases um, or the areas that Greater Richmond Bar Foundation is having the most impact? Well, for sure in the nonprofit sector, which, you know, we, we have recently launched a new program where we are training lawyers that ordinarily do um, law that's outside of courts, so transactional um, work, into how to help guide nonprofits in their everyday business and stay clear of, you know, possible uh, pitfalls, you know, make sure that they keep their 501c status. And so we've been working a lot with that. And we call it the general counsel program um, with a focus on nonprofits who help low income individuals as their mission or help develop low income communities as their mission. So where we see we connect lawyers to nonprofits to help them, we're saving those nonprofits dollars that they can spend then on their direct services. So we really like that nexus. I think that's one of the place that we've had, probably had the greatest impact. But we have just recently, um, finally, I'll look over at Marty because this has been a project we have worked on for six years, um, been partnering with legal aid and um, technology development people for about six years, no, seven, six years. And um, we launched a great um, product called Justice Server, which we call Justice Server 2.0. 
um, that is a technology platform for legal aid to use inside their offices to really help them organize them their cases better and to also connect to volunteers in a portal, um, which is just a lot of web talk for match.com for lawyers and cases, um, putting people together with cases. And so that's been a great project. I think that's going to have an amazing impact. We were able to get a grant from salesforce.org from San Francisco and an international pool of contestants because of the social impact legal aid could have and how this technology could really help move the needle. And this um, technology is going to be shared nationwide. Wow. And um, in conjunction with that technology, I think you did a training launch, which I attended, um, and have about 12 different areas now um, where you have lawyers trained or uh, training in those areas. I know I attended the session on um, protective orders, um, which is an area that, that Locke & Quinn works in with its, its women's issues um, focus. Um, and in addition, um, I volunteered to assist with the pro bono adoption and birth certificate amendments. But those are just two areas. I know there are a whole slew of other areas. You've got immigration, and if you could list a, a few more. Sure. Um, well, one of the um, more common demands that um, everyone really needs to get through is, is the divorce Yes. And um, it really helps set people up for their next stage of life and get their credit straight and, and allow them to really move on with their lives. And and, and um, Legal Aid definitely has many, many requests for divorce, and they have carved out a particular kind of divorce, no-fault divorce, that is really excellent for um, lawyers, to, volunteers to do. It's not very time-consuming, but it is very helpful for those people who are trying to navigate a court system, um, pleadings, you know, paperwork. And, and so we've really partnered for a long time with Legal Aid on the no-fault divorce and have really made some great impact there, but that was one of them. I know bankruptcy is another one that people right. confront. Right? Um, bankruptcy. Uh, we also have um, an expansion in the Social Security um, area, so um, Social Security Disability and Social Security Supplemental Income. We have the... Um, wage and labor issues that we're trying to expand and, and preliminary protective order obviously is a critical one um, and really good for attorney volunteers to, to help as well with those hearings. I know that all those areas that um, Greater Richmond Bar Foundation has identified are, are definitely those areas of, of super need that, that folks have and can't always afford the legal services. So um, Marty, let's switch back over to you. What are some of the problems that Central Virginia Legal Aid Society confronts regularly um, with uh, getting access to legal services? I mean, wh what um, what difficulties do you have in terms, I guess a better way of, of, of articulating that is, what difficulties do you have in terms of, of trying to get all of the needs met of all the people that are contacting you? You have, and how do you filter through those people and how do you prioritize? Well, that's a good question, Colleen. Well, it was and actually like four questions. But <laughs> Try to deal with all of them at once. <laughs> Thank you. So it, it, is, it is difficult because we have uh, many more requests for legal assistance than we have uh, attorneys and resources to fulfill them. And of the people who contact uh, legal aid who do qualify for our services, probably four out of five, all we're able to do is to give them legal advice as opposed to actual representation. Again, statistics I quoted earlier, 168,000 low-income people in our five cities and 15 counties, and we have 10 lawyers on staff. 
And this sort of plays into what I think are some of the myths that go around the law. Uh, people think you have a right to a lawyer in a civil non-criminal case. That's not true. You only have a right to a lawyer in a criminal case. Um, secondly, most people think, well, most folks have lawyers in civil non-criminal cases. Uh, in fact, most folks don't. And thirdly, folks think, well, you may not need a lawyer in court. You know, the judge will, you know, look after your interest and will sort of protect you. Well, that's not true either. In fact, I was in court yesterday and the judge said, once I put on this black robe, I can't give anybody any legal advice. If I start doing that, they're going to take this robe away from me. And having a lawyer is super important because studies have done been done uh, statewide, nationally, for years that shows that you're anywhere between two and four times more likely to have a favorable outcome if you have a lawyer than if you don't. So, you know, we try as much as we can to provide representation in the crucial areas. In the less crucial areas, we give advice. And we do get a great deal of help from volunteer lawyers um, doing it for free, pro bono. Things like bankruptcies, protective orders for victims of domestic abuse, wills, powers of attorney, some housing cases, things of that nature. And as Ali mentioned, this a new project is hoping to expand that into other areas like housing repair and security deposit recovery and what we call wage theft, people simply working and not getting paid for working. So we have great hopes for that project as well. So, um, Marty, you hit upon something which is which is really a, a good point. Um, Sally's question before asked about, you know, when can you expect a free consultation, that sort of thing. But there's a lot of mystery sometimes about when somebody's entitled to an attorney versus not entitled to attorney. And you mentioned that in the criminal area, um, uh, attorneys are provided um, when somebody um, has been accused of a, of a crime. So that is an area that the state picks up the cost of, of the attorney. Um, and then there are a few other uh, small areas where the state will will pick up the cost of, of an attorney or a guardian ad litem, which is another fancy name for a court-appointed attorney um, in certain uh, situations. Um, so, for example, where somebody is facing possible termination of their parental rights um, in uh, an involuntary termination proceeding, typically uh, an attorney will be appointed. And then in other cases where somebody is under a disability, um, they might be under age 18, is considered under a disability um, in Virginia, which is kind of a, a strange concept. But um, also if somebody is um, convicted of a, is, is in prison under a felony, um, and they might be having a divorce action brought against them. They actually can be appointed a guardian ad litem as well. Um, so there are certain situations, or if, if somebody is actually under a disability, a, a mental um, disability, sometimes the court will go ahead and appoint a guardian ad litem. But there still are, besides the criminal and those that I, I kind of laid out, there really are very few areas um, where somebody is entitled to get a court-appointed attorney. That's correct, Colleen. And the exceptions that you pointed out are really are the exceptions that prove the rule that in almost all civil cases, there's no right to have an attorney. So you can lose your income, your property, custody of your children, your health care, your housing, the home you're buying. You can lose everything uh, because of a court action where the other side was represented and you were not represented simply because you could not afford an attorney. And that goes straight, I think, to the heart of the American system of justice. The Constitution of the United States, the preamble says, quote, 
We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. If you noticed the second item in that list, ahead of ensure domestic tranquility, ahead of provide for the common defense, the second item in that list is establish justice. And school children in this country, at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance, every day say, with liberty and justice for all. We all said it. We all continue to say it. And yet, we are still very far away from establishing justice for all. That is such a critical point. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that, Marty, because we three sitting here are all lawyers, um, and we know what an advantage it is for somebody to have a lawyer in a case versus somebody to not have a lawyer. Um, And for somebody to go what's called pro se, which is by themselves, um, without a lawyer, um, I, I don't know the exact Latin interpretation of it, but basically, you might know the Latin interpretation, Marty, but um, the uh, I'm looking at you. Do you? I, I, I don't. Okay. <laughs> but um, I bet if if, uh, if um, we were able to look it up, I think it would Herself. come some. It would come pretty close to by yourself or without a lawyer, that sort of thing. Um, so, but somebody going pro se um, is at a distinct disadvantage um, where the person on the other side, the landlord or the, the spouse that's getting the divorce, uh, does have a lawyer. So, really talking to both of you today about um, it is really not just about access to legal services, it's about access to justice. It is. And that reminds me of something that um, University of Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh said recently. And he's a sports guy. Well, he's and, not a legal you, guy. You know that my husband and I have tickets to U of M football. You you, you must. <laughs> I did not know that, but now I do. Thank there you for you sharing that. But as I say, Jim Harbaugh is a sports guy. He is not a legal guy, but he got very interested in this area. And he said, you know, sending somebody into court without an attorney when the other side has an attorney is if I were to send my football team out onto the field without helmets and the other side had helmets. That's how bad the disparity is. Well, go blue. That is, <laughs> that is dear, near and dear to my heart um, to know that that came out of Jim Harbaugh's mouth. But that is such a true statement. Um, and it's uh, it really does put somebody at a disadvantage not to have an attorney because the three of us sitting here know that the legal rules can be so complicated and can trap people if um, they don't understand the the laws of evidence and the laws of civil procedure. And even as an attorney, you don't want to be up against a side that's not represented because it's very uneven playing field and it's and it's it's hard to move around in that. It's, it, you're right, Allie. It's so difficult um, when I've got somebody on the other side that's pro se because I, I actually I want to educate them and help them, and it's it's very difficult. Um, and you feel like they are at a disadvantage in that regard. So um, we will be wrapping up here uh, shortly, and we are talking about access to justice uh, today with uh, Marty Wegbite of the Central Virginia Legal Aid Society and Allie Fannin of the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation. We only have a few more minutes left. If anybody does want to call into the show at 804 804- Four five four one three six six again eight zero four four five four one three six six. So Marty, let's go back to you. Um, tell me maybe about the most heartbreaking uh, thing that you've encountered. I can't narrow it down to one, but just in general, I think the most heartbreaking thing is when people contact legal aid too late 
and there's really nothing that can be done to fix their situation. This often happens if somebody is already has a judgment against them, the appeal period has passed, the time to file a motion to rehear has passed, and people think, well, don't I get a second chance? Well, actually, no, you don't. Um, if you get court papers or even if you get something that threatens taking you to court, you need to get some type of legal advice and legal assistance, even if it is from Virginia.free Legal Answers or from Legal Aid if you qualify financially or the Virginia Lawyer Referral Service. You really need to take prompt legal action if you are taken to court or, or threatened with court. Um, the other thing that's really heartbreaking is if people rely on non-legal sources, um, they will say, well, uh, so-and-so told me this or I heard that. And unless it came from a lawyer who is licensed by the Virginia State Bar, you cannot rely on it. You cannot rely upon what the guy at the pizza parlor tells you. In fact, we have a deal with all the pizzerias in the Richmond area, which is um, we don't make pizza and they don't practice law. <laughs> That's a really, really good point. Don't rely on legal advice unless it comes from a lawyer. So in the few remaining minutes, let's talk about some of the programs you're doing to fundraise. Ali, I know you've got Jazz for Justice coming up. And Marty, I know that you all do Justice for Ale. Um, so Ali, tell us a little bit about, about Jazz for Justice. Sure. Thank you, Colleen. Um, our next fourth annual Jazz for Justice will be February 9th, 2018. Um, you can find ticket information and more information on our website, which is www.grbf.org, um, and it is a co-venture with VCU Jazz Department, and we fundraise for access to legal services and for VCU Jazz Scholarships, and it's a great night of seeing students doing what they love, bringing attorneys out into an environment that is not all about court and controversy and in celebrating um, the community. And I encourage everyone to kind of consider going to that. It's a great fundraising event for a really good cause. And I know, Marty, um, that the Central, Central Virginia Legal Aid Society um, pairs up to do Justice for Ale as well in the summertime. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's usually in uh, May at one of the uh, local breweries. It has been at Hardywood Craft Brewery. Um, it was most recently at Champion Brewing. And again, we make uh, this information available to the public on our website. Uh, CVLAS also has a Facebook page, so you can learn about what's happening just by simply going to Facebook and just searching for Central Virginia Legal Aid Society, and you can find out what we're doing. But one thing I will say, please do not try to get legal assistance through Facebook. You will just get an automatic message that will direct you to our website that tells you uh, who to contact and how to contact and the days and hours of intake. So um, a couple of takeaways as we as we are almost wrapping up our show here is to make sure you get a legal advice from an attorney and a reliable source. And we're going to put all those sources that Marty has mentioned throughout the show um, up on our uh, Raising the Bar Law Talk website. And also uh, make sure you get uh, legal services soon, sooner rather than later. So thank you for joining us today, Marty and Allie. It's been a fabulous show with lots of good information. There are many, many questions, but the answer is AM820, WNTW Chester.